the Science Inside podcast. This is the Science Inside. Hello and welcome to the Science Inside. I am Bridget Libere and this episode is the Future Science episode, a feature that happens every first Monday of a new month. And this is the period where we give you um, the face behind a science and we talk to the brilliant minds who are working on fabulous uh, research in their respective fields of science and as always, we bring to you another dazzling human being. And this week, we speak to Debohoma Sebe, who will be joining us all the way from Pulukwani, but this will be on the line. Now, Teboho is a geomorphologist. She has just completed her master's in geography at the Rhodes University. And what brings me or all of us here to speak about her is the fact that she was part of an all-female contingent that went on a voyage to the Antarctica for research purposes, obviously, in 2016. And this voyage was said to be the largest contingency of people from the South Southern Africa um, to ever visit this uh, continent and the Antarctica is almost 7,000 kilometers away from South Africa and it took the team of eight scientists a whole two weeks to reach this icy destination. Can you imagine that two weeks in a boat? Uh, Now what makes Tewoko's story so unique is that she was the first black South African female to be part of this uh, field-based team that carried out research on this continent and the fact that her field uh, of research is very male-dominated, not one uh, to be usually also undertaken for a master's study. And I think this is really uh, going to be an interesting uh, discussion that we are going to have with her. But before we go deeply into uh, this topic, uh, first we look at our news and the interesting events that have been taking place around the, the world of science and technology. And, uh, well, you can also catch us on social media uh, on Facebook as VowFM. You can also tweet us at VowFM hashtag Science Inside and the podcast uh, podcast is up on iTunes and uh, it's on vets.journalism.co.za forward slash science. Our WhatsApp line of course is 084-078-4912. Now we get into our news. This week's Science Headline. In the news making headlines, uh, Rhodes Rhodes Lecturer uh, has received a 3.5 million rand grant uh, to help improve uh, nanotechnology research. And death counts continue to rise from the devastating cyclone Idai. I am Masibule Luniga with the Science Inside News. Pilani uh, Mashazi, Dr. Pilani Mashazi, rather, a senior lecturer within the Department of Chemistry at Rhodes University, was recently awarded an amount of 3.5 million rands from the National Research Foundation's uh, National Equipment Program. Uh, the funds will go towards the upgrade of the time of flight secondary ion mass spectrometer, TOF SIMS in short, which was commissioned in 2014 and launched uh, by then Minister of Science and Technology, uh, Ms. Nalendi Pando. This equipment uh, is state-of-the-art and first-of-its-kind in South Africa and in Africa, and the equipment can perform analysis with atomic mass resolution as well as molecular ion mass resolution, and the upgrade of the uh, TOF SIMS uh, will increase its capabilities and range of possible analysis. Uh, We spoke to Dr. Mashazi to tell us more about what this grant means. The grant even though it's was for the upgrade of well, one of our recent state-of-the-art equipment, um, the equipment itself is a national facility because it is hosted by a chemistry department within the Institute of Nanotechnology Innovation. So there's an institute within the chemistry department. We already do a lot of work for not just um, Rhodes University, but it's for just all around the country people that are interested in the application of the toxin as well as one of the other equipment that we use in the NIC, in the um, institute. So the grant itself is just basically to upgrade it mm-hmm. so that we are in, increasing or adding more facilities or capabilities within the, uh, the, the instrument so that it can do quite more than just it was uh, it, it could do 
previously. We'll just be upgrading it. And so with the upgrade, though, there's quite exciting um, applications that we are envisaging that we'll be able to pursue or do. And that will also lead to much better research in terms of publications and in terms of basically just uh, submitting them for even higher impact journals, uh, international journals. So we are hoping that the upgrade will give us that edge in terms of uh, the research we do. And the results emanating uh, from the use of this equipment will be published in a high-impact, peer-reviewed international journal, uh, thus upholding the reputation of Rhodes University as a research-intensive institution that produces uh, high-quality research. Uh, Rhodes hopes to establish a science institute that can complete, uh, compete rather internationally. That actually ties in very well with uh, what we, we've been trying to do with the uh the Institute at Rhodes University, to basically just make a South Africa or scientific research in South Africa be that of international standards, mm. right? So all that we really try to accomplish is um, instead of basically having state-of-the-art equipment that can be only sourced from Europe or, um, or anywhere else in the world, we are trying to create that one, um, that institute within South Africa that can basically do a lot of um, applications within the nanotechnology type of uh, research. And furthermore, postgraduate students at master's and PhD levels will be trained on the use and the interpretation of the results obtained from the state-of-the-art equipment. In our second story, intense tropical cyclone Idai was one of the world's most uh, uh, one was one of the worst tropical cyclones rather on the record uh, to affect Africa uh, and the southern hemisphere as a whole in the past weeks and the long-lived uh, storm caused catastrophic damage in Mozambique, Zimbabwe and Malawi leaving more than 800 people dead and hundreds more are missing. Uh, this has also led to other cases of cholera outbreaks in the countries affected leading to the first death reported today. The number of cholera cases has almost doubled in Mozambique in the past 24 hours and the port city of, of Beira has has uh, recorded its first death uh, from the disease since a massive cyclone, uh, the massive cyclone rather struck uh, and health, health chiefs uh, warn that there's still to be more... Uh, more more catastrophe to expect to be expected rather um 2.6 million people are now suffering uh, the the aftermath of cyclone idai uh, the un has called it the worst natural disaster to ever strike in the southern hemisphere and the nation the international red cross says 90% of the mozambique's uh, city of beira was completely destroyed uh, claire Fon- uh, and claire fontan of the world uh, Meteorolo- meteorological organization said uh, during an interview on BBC News um, that although the disaster itself was in fact uh, anticipated uh, in good time, not much could have been done by locals to actually evade it. For this case, it was announced far in advance, more than three days in advance, that it will uh, be quite a strong tropical cyclone and uh, reaching the Mozambican coastline. The Mozambican authorities have issued a warning, a red alert. The people's population was warned in advance, but the problem was that it has impacted an area where there is half a million population in the city, and it's a very flat area, so even if people were asked to leave, the problem was where to, right? Because it's a very flat, you cannot avoid, you cannot go up the mountains because it's completely flat, so you cannot avoid inundations. People do not have any cars, most of them, basically. And uh, regarding the shelters, there is not so many of them. Even if the forecast and the warning was uh, raised up to the red level and the population knew about that, the problem is what to do because of uh, the last mile. Well, it's always, uh, I mean, it's it's a problem in, uh, in this case.
And the aftermath may prove to be even more deadlier with uh, 1.85 million people displaced after uh, an entire village, including rather uh, entire villages uh, were submerged and households uh, rather swept away. And recapping your top stories on the show this hour, uh, Rhodes Chemistry Department receives a grant uh, to improve nanotechnology research and death counts continue to rise from the devastating cyclone in Idai. I'm Masibule Lunega with the Science Insight News. This is the Science Insight. Welcome back to the Science Inside, and um, we are just recapping our top stories, right? So, I want us to talk about the cyclone Idai. Yeah, I mean, such a devastating uh, situation. Yeah, really I, tragic indeed. I think I think there's just literally uh, more that could have been done because if you look at how uh, how these people were basically, uh, according to as we heard from uh, um, uh, Miss Anne Claire, uh, as she mentioned that actually the world warnings that were were actually uh, brought out in time but still none could nothing much could have actually been done to actually help prevent um, uh, the devastating uh, side effects of of the cyclone itself and I think I think that's the sad reality to think that uh, we have the facilities we have the technology we have the science to anticipate these things but on the ground we can't do much uh, and it's not to say nothing could have been done because had the situation on the ground been better I think we could have actually had uh, less of a devastating turnout uh, but it's just really appalling to actually see the results and now it's obviously leading to other greater uh, 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 things including cholera outbreaks and other things like that that are coming as a result of it and and we are actually just waiting to expect uh, more craziness yeah. from, the, from that side of the world. I mean it's really de- devastating yeah. yeah and I, I just wish that you know, even the government could have been, you know, proactive mm. in helping the people in terms of, you know, protecting them because yeah. science can actually help with things like this projecting, mm. um, you know, the the outcomes of something that you know each year is going, going to to, to, to take place. Happen. Yeah. But anyway, moving along uh, from that story. We have, uh, as I had mentioned earlier on, we have a geomorphologist, Tebuho Masebe, who has just completed her master's in uh, geography at the Rhodes University. And she is set to graduate in two weeks time, I think she said. She is also said to be the first black woman to carry out research in the Antarctica. I mean, how wonderful is that really? I mean, it's really amazing that, you know, we see uh, science and, uh, and and things like this um, taking place and we have a representation of all kinds of uh, genders and uh, racial or ethnic groups. So mm-hmm. uh, it is really fascinating um, as to what I'm going to be uh, discussing with her today. I'm quite excited. And um, But before we also go into uh, this discussion with Deboho, I also spoke to her mentor, who is the head of department at, uh, um, at the Rhodes University and in the Department of Geography and Geology. He's also the principal investigator in the landscape processes in the Antarctic ecosystems. And his name is Professor Ian Mickeljohn. And um, he spoke to me about um, a variety of things, about why, because my my key question was, why the Antarctica out of, you know, all all things? I mean, we are in Africa and, um, and, and, and I mean, the Antarctica is so far from, from Africa. What kind of research are we looking forward to or the kind of results and uh, discoveries? But, um, before we 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 not be going to um, listen to what uh, Professor Michael John has to say, but I believe we have Teboho on the line. Good evening, Teboho. Hi, Bridget. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. I'm very well, thank uh, thank you. Welcome to the Science Inside, and I must really say that I'm really, really intrigued about your research and our. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, what kind of things that you are trying to deduce from this research. So your aim was uh, to, to, 
to deduce what kind of effects or impact uh, does atmospheric influences have on the uh, underground and how it influences how we live or how it influences our lifestyle. So what intrigued me about all of this was... um, couldn't we have carried it out here in in Africa? Why go all the way to Antarctica to give us results about you know even things that are affecting us here in Africa? Okay, um, good evening once again, and good evening to listeners too. Um, so the reason we, or the reason I and my teammates conducted research in Antarctica was because. Um, as most people might realize, Antarctica is um, no man's land. So by that, I mean like it's a continent that has been dedicated to science research. And um, because of that, um, uh, countries have no claim to it. So uh, in that way, it is a pristine environment. And because of its... um, Christiness, if I could say that, um, it serves as an early warning system, as an early climate change warning system, because it has not been influenced by mankind that much. Yeah, I, I really, I really hear you. Um, but I mean, what kind of? Um why couldn't I mean you? You're saying that it's a pristine environment, but I, I mean, what kind of um, changes or? Uh, how how does it vary from uh, our climate? I know the Antarctica is an icy, cold place and um, a lot of mammals and other things uh, wouldn't be able to cope or live on, on that atmosphere. But speaking to your kind of research, I'm just intrigued by the... Um, by you know the Antarctica and going all the way there because I understand that the re, um, you know the excursion was also a costly one. Yes, it was. Um, so, how does it differ in terms of conducting research here in Africa? Right. Well, like you like you touched on, um, Antarctica has a different climate system, but not only that, it also has a different um, geomorphological system, and by that I mean. Um, It's a land that is covered by ice, and it doesn't have um, plant life. It doesn't have um, trees or things like that. And um, the only life that is found there um, is microbial life, and it is, um, from what I had seen, also bird life. So there aren't mammals as such. Um, No, there aren't mammals. Um, So questions like, are there polar bears down there? There were none. There were penguins, but only at the coast. And, um, yeah, birds coming in and out. But um, in terms of things that influence the environment, the environment is mainly influenced by, um, yeah, um, geological um, the geological, geological structure of the continent as well as um, atmospheric influences. That's the main, those are the main things that influence the continent. All right. So um, I mentioned uh, your mentor, Professor Michael John. Uh, he also commented on uh, commended you on the importance of your research and what this will mean for uh, your future studies and ongoing research on this field. And I have a clip of him talking to um, the research. All right. Well, to work there, you've got to be very dedicated. So she's a very dedicated person. Was able to handle very tough conditions and also handled a very tough social environment. It's very male-dominated um, because most of the people who go down are men. So you have to be able to stand up to that and she was quite capable of doing that. And you also have to be able to get on with people. And again, she managed that quite quite comfortably and got on with her colleagues and with the other people around the base and the base had a construction team there again all all male so it's not not always easy for for women but she handled it very well i don't really have a, a preference as people who want to work with me and it's interesting that women have been more prepared to work in antarctica towards a degree than men have i've had 
two men in the project since 2012. We've had 11 masters and PhD degrees awarded in it, and of those, only two were for men. Um, the rest were all women. And in the year Tabojo went down, there were three women, and two years prior to that, there were five women in my team. So and. They're perfectly capable of doing it, and if they and are interested and motivated, and that's that's what drives me me to select them is what it, why would they want to work there? And often we get men who want to go down, but they don't want to link it to a degree. In other words, they want to be part of the Antarctic experience without doing the academic work. And it seems that the the, the women who applied all wanted to to do the academic side. So. Yeah, they all, they all got in. I've never had to turn anybody away. Now, Tewoho, um Prof there was talking about, um, you know, the selection of, of people that went um, to on this, on this voyage, right? So mm-hmm. um, on, on your side, what kind of findings did you, did, you, did you find? Because there were a number of aims and objectives that you had outlined uh, for your study. Um. The funding that I had was from the NRF. Um, so the NRF and, yeah, yeah, no, actually, NRF and I also had um, a scholarship, but the one thing that really covered the trip was NRF and we were part of um, the South African National Antarctic Program that helped to facilitate this whole voyage. But funding was mainly from NRF. Oh, I actually um, was speaking to the the findings um, uh, oh. pertaining to to your research. Like um, when you did go uh, on this voyage, there were a number of things that you had outlined for your thesis, right? So, uh, and one of the things was you wanted to determine the extent of the effects of uh, meteorological events uh, on the ground and how you know our the temperatures. Uh, um, uh, affected. So I wanted to find out what did you deduce from your findings there? Okay. Um, the main thing that I could say I discovered, and I'll come into bits of it, um, what is that? was that in, in this current warming climate that we are in right now, um, there's been reports that um, there are ice shelves that are melting in, in Antarctica, right? But then that that's mainly on the um, uh, eastern side, if I'm correct. However, the part where I was working at within Rolling Modland, um, it showed that um, as as the climate warms up, permafrost and active layer also respond to such changes. So, okay, permafrost is 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 defined as um, uh, a ground that remains below zero degrees Celsius for two years, right? Mm-hmm. So that means that um, as the we would, we would expect that as the climate warms up, the active layer, which is the part that is above the permafrost, the part that fluctuates up, um, according to varying seasons, would expect that it would um, uh, what is the word? It would um, increase increase in depth that means it would respond to the warming climate by increasing in depth that is that means it would um fall over and over and over again and with that would have a, a decreasing permafrost but in my case i found that um as the climate warms up the active layer be- gets shallower and shallower that means it decreases and the permafrost um, increases, which then um, gives um, is, is puzzling because we would, we would expect that if conditions are warming up, we would expect a reverse, but then in ca- instead we see the opposite. And so um, you... That is, All right. yeah, that is my main finding. Mm-hmm. Alright, I wanted to speak about this uh, permafrost. Um, why is there a concern um about uh, co- uh, permafrost. Okay, um, permafrost, I would say, also influences um, 
how shall I put it? Um, it influences um, the um, the ice that covers the continent, right? So if ground remains frozen and it, and um, the frozen part increases, that means that um, we, we don't have uh, loss of 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 ice shelves and loss of well, we don't have increasing water levels, um, broadly speaking. Okay. So if I were to speak broadly and bringing it, bringing it home to Africa and perhaps the rest of the world, we are so concerned with Antarctica because um, if the climate warms up, as it, it shows that it is, um, the ice shelves, as have been reported, in parts of Antarctica are melting and that then increases the world's ocean levels and with that um, we, are, we would then be faced with um, decreasing coastlines and cities along the coastlines being affected. Oh. Yeah. All right, I see. And um, so with this research that you have undertaken, where do you plan to um, implement it or use it for the betterment uh, of society or the continent, which is Africa? Um, In my case, my research mainly contributed to the uh, growing understanding of um, the Antarctic landscape. So in terms of bringing it back home, um, I think that would have to be in conjunction with most research that is being done in Antarctica, not specifically my personal one. Okay. Yeah. All right. And um, so... I, I, I know that there's um, um, a South African research station there at the Antarctica. So it's called uh, Sanae 4? Yeah, um, Sanae 4. Sanae 4. I'm not mm-hmm. sure what that stands for. I tried to look it up. Uh, but um, what kind of... Um, just take us through when you do reach um, that destination, once you are there, what kind of instrumentation did you have to carry out your research? Uh, did you collect some like ice pieces or rock pieces? Uh, what kind of um, uh, research? Did I use? Yeah, yeah, the kind of um, process that you uh, undertake to carry out your, your research. Okay. So um, my... My research, um, okay, for my research, the methods that I used to collect data were basically to use data loggers. Now, we had data loggers in different sites um, installed, uh, I can't remember how long ago that was, but they had been installed there for quite a while. And every year, um, with each new team going down south, they would download the data um, yeah, for future research. So with my one, um, I was working with the 2016 data set. And basically when I got to different sites, all I would do was to um, download the data from the data loggers. And then um, apart from that, I also collected soil samples. So that's mostly what I did. So I collected soil samples and um, yeah, soil samples along with um, bulk density measurements. That's mostly what I did. Okay. And, yeah. um, all right, Tewoho, uh, please don't go anywhere because we are going to go into another segment of our show. It's called Unscience. And right. uh, this week's Unscience is brought to you by Masibulele uh, Lunika and you can find this article on Alive Science and the music was sourced from No Copyright Sounds on YouTube. Let's get into it. Unusual. Unlikely. Unscience. So, Bridget, um, can you just tell me <laughs> how, what, how shaped do you think the Earth is? What, what shape do you think the Earth is? 
I'm caught between the two because first the earth was flat and then it became round and then we've actually had this interesting conversation with um, with my colleagues <laughs> before yeah. and we're talking about Australia and how, you know, like literally like Australia shouldn't be on the map <laughs> sort yeah. of a thing because if the the, <laughs> the world is um, or the, the the worldly map is round then yeah. <laughs> they don't fit they anywhere don't really fit. yeah but uh, <laughs> it sounds like a tricky question <laughs> but I'll, I'll still stick with with round yeah yeah I think I think all the science is is, is basically obviously pointing at, at, at that I mean obviously um, that's what everyone who's very science oriented things out there and it's an interesting and fascinating response that you've given me um but what if i told you that uh, images showing a, a curved horizon are actually fake um and that photos of a round earth from space uh, are actually part of a vast conspiracy that is perpetrated by nasa and other space agencies to actually hide earth's flatness uh, to try and actually just debunk all the science that suggests uh, that the world is round. I mean, how would you find that piece of information? <laughs> yeah, it is quite interesting. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, if they say the world is, is flat, it would still make sense because to me, it never really made sense why the world was round because if it's round, you'd think that if you walked for long enough you'd yeah, fall off because exactly. it has a curve the world <laughs> should have a curve but then you never find that because if you walk far enough then you reach a coast somewhere and then you you'd be literally walking into an ocean or the sea or something yeah well basically there are a group of people that actually think or believe that uh, uh, that uh, the world is in fact flat and this group of people is actually now planning to go on a voyage to actually find the tip of <laughs> the world. Are you serious? I, I really would like to go on this voyage with them. I mean, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let me just tell you a bit more about this. So, organizers of an annual conference that brings together people who believe that the Earth is flat are actually planning to go on a cruise to the purported edge of the planet. They're looking for the ice wall that holds back the oceans and the journey will take place in 2020. The, Fl the Flat Earth International Conference, FEIC, recently announced on its website um, and the goal is to test so-called Flat Earthers' asser assertion rather that the Earth is a flattened disk uh, surrounded at its edge by a towering wall of ice. Do you realize that the, their name, the name of this conference, it's, it spells it's out fake? Like, <laughs> really are you say, oh yes, it does. I did realize. Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> there you have it. So details about the event, including the dates, are forthcoming, uh, according to Fake, <laughs> which calls the cruise the biggest, boldest adventure yet. However, it's worth noting uh, that uh, uh, nautical maps and navigational technology, such as uh, global positioning systems, also known as GPS systems, work as they do because the Earth is believed to be actually a globe. So in diagrams shared on the FEX website, the planet appears to be a pancake-like shaped disk uh, with the North Pole smack in the center and an edge surrounded on all sides by an ice wall that holds the oceans back. The ice, is, uh, the ice wall, uh, thought by some flat earthers to be Antarctic, Antarctica, rather, is the destination of the, prom the promised uh, uh, cruise. This is like really ridiculous, but uh, we've got uh, somebody on the line as well who's listening to this, who's been to the Antarctica, and maybe she can, you know, she can tell us if she was at that tip or if it's sort of curved at, at that point in the Antarctica. But um, it just it just sounds really um, yeah absurd, really. Yeah. And, uh, uh, well, uh, what seems to also uh, be the most frightening thing about the cruise is that uh, the question of how they will get there, uh, given that the navigational charts and systems that guide cruise ships and, over, uh, and, and other vessels rather around the Earth's oceans are all based on the principle of around Earth. So um, uh, Hank Kager, a former cruise ship captain, says GPS relies on a network of dozens of satellites orbiting thousands of miles above the Earth and 
signals from the satellites are beamed down to actually to the receiver inside uh, of a GPS device and at least three satellites are required to pinpoint a precise position because of the Earth's curvature. So whether or not uh, fake or the fake crews will rely on GPS or deploy uh, an entirely new flat Earth-based navigation system um, for finding the end of the world remains to be seen. Hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> I remember there was something on TV that used to be called A Journey to the... Um, to, to the cent- was it center of, of the, the earth? earth? Yeah, yeah. I think the guys went literally inside <laughs> the, core of the, the core of the earth and discovered an entire world where dinosaurs still exist. And it was quite an interesting <laughs> imagination. Yeah, <but> well, <laughs> really interesting. Interesting. Well, that was unusual, unlikely, unscience. Unusual, unlikely, unscience. Stay curious, stay informed, stay on the Science Inside. Welcome back. We are still on the Science Inside. We are still chatting to geomorphologist Debo Homasebe from the Rhodes University who visited the Antarctica to find out if the pristine environment in that continent may hold the answers um, as to how rapidly changing uh, the climate is affected by meteorological events and how these events are fast changing our environment. Uh, so we are back with Deboho. Deboho, welcome back. Thank you, Bridget. Hi. Hi, yes. Now we get to the uh, interesting part, which is the uh, interview where we get up close and personal with you. We find out more about your journey with geography and a bit more on Antarctica. Now, I would like to know about your journey um, as a little girl. How 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 was it growing up in uh, the village of Makose uh, uh, in Polokwane? Because I know you, you said earlier on that you were a bit of a bookworm, a nerd young person who was interested in mostly her studies but tell us what was it like growing up there um i think i would say i had a normal childhood like most kids um i okay not all kids are bookworms and not all kids love school but i was unusual in that i i was um the typical nerd at school um, I didn't wear glasses like what you see on TV, but <laughs> that was me at school. Um, and my, I'm not sure where my love for school or for science came from, but I just, growing up, I was just curious about the world around me. And um, yeah, as a child, my aspirations changed a lot, but they were mostly around um, science, science-related careers, science-related subjects. And I was lucky enough in that I also had parents who encouraged um, my love for the sciences and the, yeah, the sciences and everything that encompassed it. All right. Yeah. So how did you then come to geography? Were there influences who sort of um, showed you the path to your to ge- to geography and said, you know, this path will lead you to the Antarctica or something like that. <laughs> that is a very long story, but um, to cut it short, um, okay, so in high school, like I said, I was a science fanatic and I actually wanted to do physics when I went to varsity. I wanted to study physics and in my first year, that's what I enrolled for. But then throughout the year, I just we, I found physics to be challenging. I don't know if I, I just could not cope with first-year pressures or that um, the workload was just too much, but I found it quite challenging. And on top of that, um, I slowly just lost interest in it, and we had a field trip at some at some point in time um, where, we, where we were just um, evaluating or going to, uh, well, Checking out physics in the everyday life, like um, what careers you could do with it. And I don't think I was that um, satisfied with what, I, with what I saw or what I found. So then come second year, I, I switched courses and I just thought, I enjoyed geography in high school, so 
why not? Let's just do it and see how things will turn out. And I actually fell, fell more in love with it the second time around. But still, the idea of going to Antarctica was so far first in my mind. I don't know what I actually wanted to do with geography. I just, I think at that stage when I enrolled for it, it was just for the love of it. And I just wanted to see how far it will take me. Mm-hmm. So then um, in uh, third year, that's when I, I decided to do geography honors. So it was actually a tough year because I had to choose between doing chemistry and doing geography. And I loved both subjects. I was very passionate about them both. So I decided, let me just go for geography. And then at the end of the year, my supervisor was like, there's an opportunity for people who want to go to Antarctica to do a master's research there. And then I thought, well, I don't really have much to lose and I'm not really sure what I want to do next in terms of jobs. I wasn't ready yet to go out to the job world. So I thought, okay, let me do a master's and what better field to do a master's in than, you know, going to Antarctica. There's not a lot of people that get to have that opportunity to go down there. So I was quite privileged in that um, I was I wasn't turned down in my request to do a master's in it. So mm. yeah. That's really interesting. <laughs> quite an interesting <laughs> uh, story. But I mean, you this journey to the Antarctica, I want you to take us through it. I mean, you are in a boat for two weeks heading to this icy barren place and you mm-hmm. spent about like over six weeks in this icy climate. What was your experience like? I mean, not not all of us will get an opportunity to go to the Antarctica and I don't think yeah. many of us will withstand um, the, the temperatures there. Um true um okay i think for me the whole journey as a whole was very exciting plus meeting new people on the ship too um it was quite exciting i had been on the ship before but not for such a long period so that's the first time where i had um seasickness (laughs) and um i remember the first time i saw an iceberg with um, in, in, in actual reality, not on a computer screen or in TV or wherever. <laughs> it was quite exciting. And there are some things where you, you you see them live and you just cannot fathom the, the greatness of what you're seeing. Okay, so then we get to Antarctica eventually and I just could not believe at how huge the ice shelf was. Um, I was listening to your conversation earlier about flat earth and uh, uh, globe. Well, I, I, I don't, I'm not a flat earther and I won't speak down on flat earthers, but <laughs> I believe that the earth is a globe. And yes, there is a world, but it's not um, a world that encloses the flat earth. The world that I saw was... Um, uh, an ice wall, an ice shelf, and it was meters and meters high. But anyway, um, so we get to the continent and we we get on land or slash ice, and um, we we flew to the base. And I remember one of the most exciting things that happened when I was there. Um, I experienced snowfall for the first time. It was it was quite lovely, and I remember I'm a I'm a was extreme weather junkie. <laughs> so there was a time when we had um, a snowstorm, and I was just so excited. I was so excited. You could not see anything far beyond your your stressed arm, and for some reason I had never experienced such a thing here at home. So I was just I know it was quite dangerous because. Were you to go outside by yourself, you could have gotten lost or you could have been injured or got, you know? Precisely. But, yes, but I was just so excited and intrigued because I'd never seen such a thing before. And I knew that that was special because it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And also the, the, the quietness and the silence of being in the field. It's so quiet. You know, when they say the silence is deafening, 
I got to experience that. It was just so quiet. You could hear your thoughts. You could, it was just amazing. And overall, the continent is just so beautiful. I could not stop marveling at being there over and over and over again. <clears throat> yeah. I just got to appreciate being there and thank God so much. It's just like, this is beautiful. It turns out like you are a um, an adrenaline junkie as well. <laughs> I mean, you you're excited by weather, <laughs> that dangerous yeah. weather change uh, in the Antarctica. But um, I also know there were a number of things that you had to do to in order to prepare yourself for this excursion, uh, so that you could cope with you know the different uh, climatic change and mm. also adjusting to you know the weather and the uh, what do you call it? The sea levels and things like that? The, um, okay. Yeah, I did, um, I did quite a few of things, actually. Um, well, we know that there aren't people there, and by default, there aren't um, places where you could go shop for things. So first thing I did, amongst other things, is just to stock up on things that are going to use down there. I didn't want to be um, in short of any supplies. And then um, I, I also exercise just to keep my body healthy and um, spoke to people who had been there before. We had students who were in their second year already, second year of master's. We were, already, we were still in our first year of master's, so we would speak to them about um, their experiences down there. And also our supervisor kept on encouraging us and just, um, uh, um, yeah, just um, preparing us for being down there mentally. But overall, um, I think the excitement of just being there took care of most of the fears that we might have, that we might have had of being down south. All right, and I understand that you also went there during uh, the summertime. So I also uh, believe that the sun never sets there. I mean, it's Mm. a very deceptive environment where it's just day in, day out. And you could find yourself losing uh, sight of of time and just being, Mm. you know, lulled away by, um, you know, this illusion of it being day all day. What was the experience like? with, you know, this encounter? Because, I mean... Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm well, yes. Um, so, on days where we were not out in the field, it was just like a normal, ordinary day. So, um, yes, the sun does not set, but in the, in the inside the base, we had um, curtains that were pitch black. So, during night time, um, we would close the, the, the curtains or the blinds and it would just be pitch black. So it, it, it didn't really affect us that much. The time when it did affect us was when we were out in the field. Because we'd find that we left the base in the morning and we were out and it would be around 4 o'clock in the late afternoon and it would still appear like it was still noon. Mm-hmm. So eventually... you. We were we relied on 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 our, on our clocks to basically just tell us that it's getting late, or on us being physically tired to inform us that it's time to head home, or we should be about to finish now because it's getting late. But in terms of knowing, just looking at the sky, yeah, it was quite deceiving. But it, it was also quite beautiful because. We got the we got the opportunity to, you know, just walk out at ten in the evening or twelve in the evening, and it would still be bright outside. So yeah, that's that's something that you don't get to see every time. And and briefly, um, do you have any um, words for young people who would like to, um, you know, go through this? Uh, this field of, of study or um, do studies in geography, do you have any words of encouragement or any field of, of, of science? Do you have any words of encouragement for young people out here? Mm. Um, I would say 
whatever it is that you're passionate in, um, be it in high school or varsity, whatever it is that you're passionate in, um, just work hard at it and don't be scared of failures and don't be scared of asking questions because a lot of us get intimidated by asking questions. I know for me from experience in first year, that's what really um, made me suffer, if I could say that. But yeah, don't be scared to ask questions and to be curious and inquisitive. And um, as they say, the sky is the limit. So if it can be done, you can do it. Wow, nice yeah. and sweet. But before you go away, we also have uh, just a short clip of um, of uh, the professor um, sharing his words of encouragement uh, to you. That she takes her experience through and uses it um, as an educational experience, which will help her in any job that she does. Dealing with the issues she had to deal with in Antarctica will will make her a much stronger person and and enable her to to be able to handle work situations in a much better and much easier way. And there was Professor um, Ian Makeljohn. And uh, Tewoho, with that being said, um, I would like to say thank you for being on our show. It was a really enlightening interview. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you, Bridget, and thank you, Telisna. Thank you for this opportunity of being on your show. Only a pleasure. Bye. Now you, uh, you've been listening to our interview with um, a geomorphologist, Debo Sebe from the Rhodes University. And uh, we are just going to take a short break and we'll be back. This is the Science Inside. Hello and welcome back. You have been listening to the Science Inside and we are actually on uh, at the end of our show. Uh, we were speaking to our feature scientist for this week, Teboho uh, Masebe from the Rhodes University and she uh, specializes in uh, geomorphology where she looks at how uh, the environment is influenced by uh, atmospheric influences such, such as uh, solar radiation, wind speed and things like that and uh, she went to the Antarctica and she was the first black female from South Africa to visit the Antarctica to carry out her research but um, with that being said we would like to thank all of our guests who are featured on the show tonight uh, Sebe, Professor Ian Mekeljohn, Dr. Pilani Mashazi and and Claire Fontaine. And today the team behind the scenes is production by Masibulele Lunika and tech by Kutwano Serame. Our podcast is on the uh, VITS website, uh, vits.journalism.co.za forward slash science and on iTunes as well. And uh, our social media uh, handle on Facebook is VAUFM and on Twitter is at VAUFM. The Science Inside is produced by the Vitz Radio Academy, funded in part by the South African Department of Science and Technology. With that being said, good night from us. The Science Inside Podcast.